Welcome to Walking in Faith with Pastor Rob Currington. This podcast is dedicated to helping develop lifelong seekers of the Kingdom of God. Each week, Pastor Rob helps bring God's message for living to those seeking a richer and more Christ-filled life. Now let's join Pastor Rob as he shares this week's message. We thank you for that as we just contemplate Romans 8 knowing Lord that there's no condemnation to those of us that are in Christ Jesus and we just pray that you would just bring us a mighty dose of your spirit's power this morning we invite you to join with us as we celebrate your presence as we express our love to you Lord that you may be glorified in all that we do in your name we pray amen this morning for pastor's prayer I'd like to make a prayer of dedication and service to our king so I would ask that you would just bow your heads and join with me silently as I pray for us as a congregation dear heavenly father we thank you for choosing us to serve you it was out of love you have called us to continue your son's work here on earth you have given us the holy spirit as our helper to advance the spread of the gospel the good news of salvation you have called us to count the cost and to abandon all things in order to gain salvation. Help us this morning once again to see that the kingdom is a pearl of great price, a hidden treasure that is worth the cost of following Jesus as King. We know that we are not worthy. We know that we are fallen, that even in our redemption there is nothing within us that qualifies us as your servants, yet you still desire us. You've chosen us, you strengthen us, you empower us, all that we may serve you. We ask for strength for that task this morning. We ask for your power and your favor to shine upon us as we commit this morning to your heavenly work. We pray this in the name of Jesus, who is our example and our leader, and the one who's our advocate, we pray. And God's people said, Amen. Amen. Take your Bibles and turn to Mark chapter 3. We're in verses 13 through 19. We're talking about the later Galilean ministry as Jesus now begins to prepare others for ministry. But let me ask you, how many of you look fondly on your elementary, junior high, and high school years? Anyone here look fondly? Okay. Any of you look at them with uh, like, uh, I'd like to just forget all those. Some of you still in therapy over that? Yeah, yeah. You might remember elementary, junior high, or even high school gym class and recess when we would choose two or three leaders and then start to choose teams. Didn't you hate that type of exercise? I don't know if they allow that in schools any longer. To many people, it was a fun time of friendly competition to see who would get picked first, second, or third. But to others, it was a time of embarrassment and ridicule as one by one we were passed over for someone else. And then finally to have the indignity of having the team leaders argue over who would have to take us. Ah, the joys of the early years. Hopefully those years have passed us by. We've recovered from our long-term effects of being passed over. Or the prideful arrogance of always being the one that was picked first. In today's passage, Mark, who has taken a newspaper approach to the story of Jesus, is now moving his narrative forward by relating the choosing of the 12 men to become disciples by Jesus. Mark 3, 13 through 19, as we read of this narrative. 
And he, speaking of Jesus, went up on the mountain and called to him those whom he desired. And they came to him. And he appointed twelve whom he also named apostles so that they may be with him and he might send them out to preach and have authority to cast out demons. He appointed the twelve, Simon, to whom he gave the name Peter, James, the son of Zebedee, and John, the brother James, to whom he gave the name Bonagiris, that is, the sons of thunder, Andrew, Philip, Bartholomew, and Matthew, and Thomas, and James, the son of Alphaeus, and Thaddeus, and Simon the Zealot, and lastly, Judas Iscariot, who betrayed him. Father, as we come before you this morning, I pray that you'd help us to read this with fresh eyes. Lord, open our hearts to, to look at the choosing of these twelve. Let us look at these men and let us be able to see what it is that caused them to be chosen. What was their purpose? What's the observations? And Lord, may it encourage us and strengthen us as we are now separated by 2,000 years. This here is the Word of God. This here is alive. And there's a reason why you've called us here this morning to not only proclaim your Word in this passage, but also to respond to the Holy Spirit's working. So pray that you would do so this morning. Be with me as I speak. Let me speak your words. And let us differ between my opinions and those of the Word of God, that may they be preeminent. We pray this in the name of Christ. Amen. I want to give you four observations, and I'm going to give you four challenges. Very simple in this passage of Scripture. Again, this is one of those ones that we read so often that many times we just pass through it very quickly. I'm not going to give you anything new. God has not given me any type of special supernatural insight that has escaped 2,000 years and generations of church fathers. But I do want to challenge as we look at this passage of Scripture. The first observation is Jesus is choosing here. Again, when we think of someone choosing teams or choosing people, many times our minds might go back to those times when we weren't chosen or we were chosen or people would fight to not choose us at all. But what we have to understand here is that Jesus is the one that's doing the choosing. Luke 6.12 gives us a little bit more information in that the Gospel of Luke tells us that Jesus actually spent the night in prayer before choosing the twelve, indicating this calling is more than just a popularity contest or a rewarding of the faithful, but was a purposeful choosing of a group of men to come under the tutelage of Jesus. This was not a picking of the straws or the picking of the tallest, the best looking, or those that were most popular. This was Christ praying to the Father, saying, I am going to choose 12. It is that time now. They've been following him for some time. There is a good group of people. We see that he's always having to get away from crowds. There were many disciples, so to speak, of Jesus that followed him. He's now going to choose 12 for a special purpose. As Jesus finally gets away from the crowds, and he has some alone time with his disciples, and he's ready to begin the very important process of choosing 12 of those men. These 12 men were actually sovereignly called and chosen by Christ. Mark writes that Jesus called to him those whom he desired. That's an important phrase there. Jesus as the Messiah, the anointed one, the king, exercises his sovereign will in choosing out among all those that were there, these 12 men. In our scripture reading earlier in John, we discover that Jesus chooses those that were actually given to him by the Father. I can almost imagine the prayers. Now, can you have Father? I'm just going to be subjective here. 
His father, which twelve have you given me? And all of a sudden, God says, I want you to have these. And, and Jesus might have said, I don't know. Okay, well, I, I don't think there was any type of parlaying going on there. But Jesus says, all right, are these the twelve men that you want me to have? We discover that Jesus chooses those that were given to him by the Father when he says, I have manifested your name to the people whom you gave me out of this world. Yours they were, and you gave them to me. So in Jesus' choosing, it's not just his own desire or his own will, but he chooses those whom the Father has already chosen for him. Again, we see Jesus' obedience and subjection to the Father. The 12 is a number that represents Israel, the tribes of Israel. There were 12 tribes of Israel. Matthew records the promise of Jesus to this man when he writes, Truly I say to you, in the new world, speaking of the new heaven and the new earth, when the Son of Man will sit on His glorious throne, you who have followed me will also sit on the twelve thrones, judging the twelve tribes of Israel. So there was a purpose for choosing twelve rather than thirteen or fourteen. These were going to be the men who were going to judge the tribes of Israel. So the first observation is Jesus is choosing. It wasn't a volunteer. It was the Navy way of volunteering people. I'll choose you, I'll choose you, I'll choose you. You ever been volunteered that way for something? In this way, these men were chosen by the sovereign will of Christ obeying the Father's purpose. The second observation is the purpose of the choosing of these men. Jesus chose them for a purpose. Jesus is choosing these 12 men according to this passage for two reasons. The one is to be with him so that they may be with him so that he may train them, so they may sit under his teaching, so that he may give them special instruction. The second reason we see there in the passage is so that they may be able to be sent out on a mission to preach and to cast out demons, so that Jesus may multiply his ministry as he's in the earth. Mark tells us that Jesus actually appointed these 12 men to be apostles, which is a messenger or an envoy. That's what the word apostle means. It's a fitting name and a fitting description of their commission that we will read later in Mark chapter 6, as Jesus sends them out two by two. They're also known as commonly more so as the 12 disciples. Typically in the Gospels, we name them the 12 disciples. And for some reason in Acts, then we kind of change their name to the 12 apostles. But in the same way, they were messengers and envoys. Mark informs us that Jesus chooses these 12 men. They're also known as the 12 disciples. Disciple means student, follower, a committed learner, and follower. So they were both apostles and disciples in that way. Disciples in that they would learn from Jesus. Apostles in that they would be sent out as envoys, as ambassadors, as messenger. Mark informs us that he chooses these 12 men in order to train them and send them out. Theologian Walter Wessel writes in his commentary on Mark that the salvation that Jesus brings involves the defeat of Satan and his demons. We've read that as we've read Mark 1 through 3. We see that these 12 men are going to be part of Jesus' ministry in doing so. They too will have the power to do what Jesus was able to do. These 12 men were also chosen and they have a close association with Jesus. Take your Bibles, if you would, and turn to Ephesians chapter 2. They lived, they traveled, they ate, they witnessed, and they learned from Him during His earthly ministry. 
Paul would later refer to them in this passage we're about to read as foundations of the church. In Ephesians chapter 2, verse 19, look with me. He says, so then you are no longer strangers and aliens, speaking to the church of Ephesus, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and the members of the household of God. Look at verse 20. Built on the foundations of the apostles and the prophets. Christ Jesus himself being that cornerstone in whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. These men were for a special purpose. They would be joining with the prophets of old and becoming the foundation of the very church in which Jesus would be that cornerstone, putting in place a firm foundation for the church to grow, which you and I are part of this day, in which we stand alongside our brothers and sisters throughout church history. It will be after Christ ascends to heaven, it will be these men, minus Judas of course, who will become the very foundation of the church and eyewitnesses to the ministry of Jesus. Again, Mark really is preaching material of Peter. He is really just putting in narrative written form those things that Peter had eyewitnessed. As we see in the early chapters of Acts, the Holy Spirit will come upon these men with such power that they, along with others, would be described as men who have turned the world upside down. These men would do mighty, miraculous works. And it all begins on a mountain, on a hilltop in Galilee, when Jesus calls 12 men and said, Now you're going to follow me further. You know, it's again subjective. I almost imagine what they were thinking. The joy in being chosen, picked by Jesus. Probably joy, maybe some fear, maybe in Judah's case, ah, I got in. But these men were destined for something wonderful. So Jesus chooses the 12 men in order that he might train and send them out to continue the work he started. Jesus recognized his ministry was more than just teaching and doing miracles and casting out demons but he needed to prepare others for ministry in the same way. So the third observation, the first was Jesus is choosing. The second is the purpose. The third is the men themselves who are called. I want to take a look at these men. Not much is given about them. The disciples are listed in four different accounts. Both Matthew, Mark, Luke, and Acts record the choosing of the disciples or their names. Sometimes their real names are used. Other times there are nicknames, hence why sometimes you may see different names or it seems like different characteristics are shown. Now the disciples are always listed in the same order in four sections. You always see that Peter is always listed first along with James and John. Philip begins a new section of three. Then James, the son of Alphas, is the third with Judas Iscariot, the betrayer, always listed last separate, and always listed as the betrayer. The question I might ask, though, is how did Christ choose these men? Mark, for the most part, doesn't give us the answer, but the question still remains. What qualities was Jesus looking for? Why was it these 12? We know that Matthias was also in Acts, was with them from the very beginning, but he was not the original 12. Why was he not chosen? What about the others? There were many disciples of Jesus. 
those who were following him from place to place, men who were amazed and astonished at his teaching and authority. So why these 12 men? What is it about these men that made them stand out? Well, as we've already stated, these men were chosen by the Father, and they were given to Jesus as disciples. If you and I were to stand in the midst during the time, they were probably not anything that you and I would look at these men and say, boy, these are the men we should choose. Pastor John MacArthur writes of disciples that they are not otherworldly. They are not nearly divine. They are not the cream of the crop. They are not the best among men. They are not the highest and the noblest and the best. He goes on to say that they're not even the most educated, the most highly skilled, or the most gifted, humanly speaking. The truth is they basically are distinguished by one thing, and that is all the men are ordinary. They're ordinary. There's nothing in which you and I would say, boy, let's take him. Peter, as we look at Scripture, making some observations from Scripture, Peter had foot-in-the-mouth disease. He struggled with pride and anger. John and James also struggled with pride and anger that Jesus himself called them the sons of thunder. Matthew was, was a hated text collector. Thomas would wind up doubting the resurrection of Jesus. Simon the Zealot was a political rebel. And Judas was eventually portrayed Jesus for 30 pieces of silver. Beyond that, they quarreled among themselves who would be the greatest. They would demand the best seats in the kingdom. One would deny Jesus three times, and all would abandon Jesus in his time of persecution and crucifixion. But these were the men that Jesus chose. Taking your Bibles and turn to 1 Corinthians with me, we would see why. You see, because God saw something much more than the sum of their sin-soaked character. These were ordinary men like you and I. They struggled with sin. They struggled with doubt and fear. They, many times, did not feel up to the task. But Jesus looked among these and accepted the Father's choice. In 1 Corinthians chapter 1, look at verse 26. Paul, speaking again to the church of Corinth, is trying to encourage them. He says, For consider your calling, brothers. Not many of you were wise according to worldly standards. Not many were powerful. Not many were of noble birth. But look at verse 27. But God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. God chose what is low and despised in the world, even the things that are not, to bring to nothing things that are, so that no human being may boast in the presence of God. Why did God do that? So that no man may not boast. When we were kids, we chose our teammates on looks, their height, their strength, their popularity, and the such. But that is not God, is it? You might recall in 1 Samuel when the children of Israel desired a man to rule as king. They said, we want a man to rule over us. We want to be like other nations. We want that man that we can look up to. He gave them a man named Saul. 
that was taller than any of the people from the shoulders upwards. He was someone that could command armies, people thought. That he would be somebody that would stand taller. The rest of that story is they found Saul, if you may not remember, hiding under the bushels because he was afraid that he might be chosen. And I won't make a political remark about how we choose our politicians on their looks and their glib tongues and things of that nature. You can make your own reference. When it came time to replace Saul as king, though, God sent Samuel to the family of Jesse. And you know this story. Samuel called the sons of Jesse to present themselves before him, and he was so ready to take the first name Eli because he was tall and strong, yet God informed him what? Do not look on his appearance or on the height of his stature, because I have rejected him, God says. For the Lord sees not as man sees. Man looks on the outward appearance, but the Lord looks on the heart. What qualifications did these men have? They were ordinary. Fisherman, tax collector, political leader, rebel, a treasurer, thief. These were the men the Father gave Christ to choose. See, God chooses His servants, not because of the strength or because of their looks or their intellect or any other physical or mental aspects. Why? So that no human being may boast. For it is God is the one who works and wills. It is God who brings the increase. These men are ordinary just like you and I. We make the mistake many times of assuming that our heroes of the faith, the Daniels, the Davids, the Peters, the Johns, were some type of demigods or, or superhumans. They aren't. It's one thing I love about Scripture. Scripture is very honest and candid about the weakness and the failures of the servants of God, is it not? They too were afflicted by sin. They too struggled with bad hair days or no hair days. These were men like you and I. They were ordinary men involved though in supernatural work empowered by the Holy Spirit. That's what these men were. The fourth observation that I'd like to bring to your attention is in the form of a question. Why did Jesus choose Judas? Why did he choose him? Did Jesus not know that he was the betrayer? Did not Jesus know that this man was a thief in his heart? Did he not know that this man truly did not love Jesus? But yet he allowed Judas to sit underneath him. He gave Judas the power to cast out demons and to heal. Did you know that? Judas was able to do so when he too was sent out two by two. Why did he choose man like that? Mark doesn't give us the answer here. However, from John's gospel, we do find that Jesus did know of Judas' future betrayal. In John chapter 6 and verse 64, Jesus tells his disciples, but there are some of you who do not believe, speaking among his disciples. For Jesus knew from the beginning who those were that did not believe and who it was that would betray him. Jesus answered him, did I not choose you, the twelve? I did, yet one of you is a devil. He spoke of Judas, the son of Iscariot, for he, one of the twelve, was going to betray him. 
In John 13, 11, during the Last Supper, as they were gathered together, Jesus' last evening with his disciples, he's giving them the very great things that he's about to share with them. John records that Jesus knew who was betraying him. And that's why he had said to the disciples, not all of you are clean. But Judas played an important role in the redemption of man. Peter preaches in Acts that for truly in this city there were gathered together against your holy servant Jesus, whom you anointed, both Herod and Pontius Pilate, along with the Gentiles and the peoples of Israel. Why? To do whatever your hand and your plan had predestined to take place. You see, Judas is the fulfillment of prophecy in Psalms that reads, Even my close friends in whom I trusted, who ate my bread, has lifted his heel against me. Even in his betrayal, Judas fulfilled the purposes of God. God had a reason to choose these 12 men. These men were called to serve Jesus and called to serve the church. It was through them that the gospel would advance throughout the known world at that time. They are the pillars of the church and early martyrs of the faith. From the Gospel of John, we see that Jesus loved these men. He gave them an example to follow. He called them friends. He prayed for them. He chose them. He warned them that they would be hated. He prayed for their protection. And in the end, tradition tells us that all but John would die a martyr's death. Willingly, they served God in their generation and died cruel deaths. Yet their testimony is not silent. For they still speak to you and I today, even in their passive act of being chosen. Their fruit is the redemption of many souls and the witness of who Jesus is. So this passage tells us much if we look and consider what God is doing here. So let me then go here to the place that's very important. So what's our takeaway from this today? How can the Holy Spirit use this in our hearts? I mean, how do you and I take this now and say, well, now this helps me now in my week. This informs me. Here's, a, here's something that I need to do. How does Scripture inform us, challenge us, and direct our hearts? I want to give you four challenges. I use challenges just for lack of a better term. But here's four challenges, four points for you to consider and ponder because of this choosing of these men. The first one is that in the same way that Jesus chose them, He chose us. We too, like the disciples, were chosen by the Father and given to the Son. And He chooses us. We think that we choose Him, but in relation, is there's nothing within us that would choose God. The Bible tells us there's nothing about us that would desire God, for no one seeks after God. No one understands God. 1 Peter chapter 2, you can write these verses down if you'd like. I'd like for you to take attention to them as we go on. 1 Peter 2, 9-10 through 10 tells us, says, You are a chosen race. We too, like Israel, are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for God's own possession, that we may proclaim the excellency of Him who called you out of darkness into the marvelous light. See, we are in darkness but called out. 
Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. So what's the calling for you and I? Because we have been chosen out of darkness, you and I should have a heart of gratitude. Not of arrogance and pride. And say, see, they chose me because of who I am. They chose me because I'm, I'm tall and good looking and I'm glib and I can do all these wonderful things out of darkness. And when we were dead in our trespasses and sins, it says, He chose us. Amen? That should fill our hearts with gratitude. And I'd challenge you this week, hold on to that truth. Pray this week and rejoice and with a heart full of gratitude that God has chosen you. The second challenge I would like to give you, that just as He gave them a commission, He has also given us a commission. Matthew 28, 18-20, one of our mission statements. It says, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples, what? Of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. Behold, I am with you always to the end of an age. What should that do for you and I? It's just because they now had a reason for living no longer it was about fishing. No longer was it about collecting taxes. They now had a new purpose. You and I now have a purpose. The question that everyone asks, why am I on earth here for? What is my purpose in life? It's very clear, is to make disciples. And you may say, how do I do that? Well, if you're a mother, if you're a father, you make disciples of your children. You make disciples, men of your wives, wives, you're praying for your husbands. We're making disciples of our neighborhood, of our co-workers, of all those that come within our influence. We have a purpose for living. Just as Jesus looked at Peter, James, and John, and Andrew and said, lay down your nets, come follow me. I've got a different purpose. You once were fishers of fish. I'll now make you fishers of men. You and I have a purpose. We can get up in the morning, strengthen and encourage, knowing what it is that we're to be about. You and I on our Father's business, we are messengers, we are envoys. I don't know if you're like this, this week we have family visiting and I'm enjoying them, but from Wednesday on I didn't come into work. And it was so odd. By the time it got to Friday, I really wasn't quite sure what day it was. It was almost a good feeling, but I could feel almost within my heart this thing like, what's going on? Will life pass me by? I don't feel like I'm doing the regular thing. And sometimes we just feel like that when we wake up. And we get into that rat race of just doing our jobs, just doing our living. Let me ask you, don't raise your hands. But sometimes do you feel like all you're doing is just surviving? Making it day to day? I do. God has called us to a greater purpose. He's commissioned them He's given us the same commission. Number three, just as they were ordinary people called to do extraordinary work, so are you and I. We're ordinary people called to extraordinary work. Take your Bibles, if you would, turn to 2 Corinthians. This is one of my favorite passages of scriptures. 2 Corinthians chapter 2, you need to join me with this. I can't just enjoy it by myself. I've got to share it with you. You may want to underline or highlight this passage of scripture. Look at verses 14. Again, Paul is talking to the church of Corinth. This is his second or third letter to them. 
He says, but thanks be to God who in Christ always leads us in what? Triumphal procession. And through us spreads the fragrance of the knowledge of Him everywhere. You are an air freshener. Let's go on. He says, for we are the aroma of Christ to God. Among those who are being saved, and also among to those who are perishing. To one, we're a fragrance from death to death. Because when they smell the Christian aroma, it's a stench. But to others, it's a fragrance from life to life. He asks, who is sufficient for these things? Who is sufficient to be an aroma and a fragrance of God? The Bible says we are. Because we're called and chosen and empowered by Christ to do these things. What should that do? That should encourage you this morning. It should encourage you is that there is a purpose in your life and that purpose is to be an aroma of fragrance. There will be some who will reject you. But God says there are others who will say, come here. That smells so good. The work isn't ours. The work is an extraordinary supernatural work. Take your uh, bulletins, if you would, real quickly. There's a fresh fire element in there. You'll see it's in the middle right underneath the, the, the comic. I want to give you the words of David Platt in his book, Radical Together. What a great quote. It says, In Jesus' simple command to make disciples, He has invited every one of His followers to share the life of Christ with others in a sacrificial, intentional, global effort to multiply the gospel of Christ through others. He never intended to limit this invitation to the most effective communicators, the most brilliant organizers, or the most talented leaders and artists all the allegedly right people that you and I are prone to exalt in the church. Is that not so? But look at what he says. Instead, the Spirit of God has empowered every follower of Christ to accomplish the purpose of God for the glory of God in the world. This includes the so-called wrong people. Those who are least effective, least brilliant, or least talented in the church. Building the right church then is dependent on using the wrong people. Welcome to Orange Villa Bible Church. Our unofficial motto, as I said before, is that no perfect people allowed. Because you would just ruin everything. But we are ordinary people called to an extraordinary work. And let me tell you, we aren't sufficient for this. But let us be encouraged because as we obey the commands of Christ, as we live out as disciples of Christ, we are in a fragrance, an aroma that is going to just draw people to Christ. There will be some who will reject us. That's why Jesus prayed in John 17 in the scripture reading earlier. The world will hate you, but it's not you they hate. They hate the aroma and the fragrance of Christ. And we're seeing that in a real-world way today. So be encouraged. Number four, unlike Judas, we need to be sold out in service to the king. So this challenge can be a warning. Is that unlike Judas, who is the betrayer, the one who had personal motives for following Jesus, we need to be sold out. 2 Timothy chapter 2, the first four verses says this, you then, my child, be strengthened by the grace that is in Christ Jesus. And what you heard from me in the presence of many witnesses, entrust that to faithful men 
who will then be able to teach others also. Share in suffering as a good soldier of Christ Jesus. No soldier gets entangled in civilian pursuits since his aim is to please the one who enlisted him. Of the twelve, one got entangled with the pursuits of this world. The other eleven went on in single-minded focus. And that's the encouragement that I challenge I would give you today is that you and I must be single-minded. We must be determined to stay on purpose. What is it right now that is just taking and pulling at you away from the Word of God, away from serving Christ's body, away from being part of God's body, of living life together? What are those distractions? What are those things that are pulling you apart? You need to bring those to the Father. For those things are the cares of this world. And just in the parable of the soil, that proclaims someone who is not a child of God. And so I would encourage you, be single-minded, be determined, and sold out service to the King. So let me ask, are you a follower of Christ? Have you been chosen by Christ? Have you accepted His call? Have you abandoned all things that you might follow and gain Jesus? If not, today, would you do so? Would you pray, Lord, just get rid of this head full of rocks? Lord, I'm no longer going to try to make myself right by trying to just earn my way to heaven. My church attendance, my giving, my reading of God's word, all those things do nothing to get me into heaven. It's only in the grace of God. Would you accept that this morning? Would you repent of dead works and turn and trust in the one who's made all things possible for you and I. And if you have made that choice, would you be encouraged? Would you have a heart of gratitude? Would you know your purpose? And would you be determined to follow him as these men did? I'd ask for you to take a moment to pause, to pray, to consider, and to respond to the Spirit's call this morning. With every head bowed and every eye closed, would you do so at this time? Father, you are a good God. And we thank you that you have chosen us, that you have given us your mercy. Lord, that even though there's nothing that we could ever present before you as righteous, Lord, you've accepted us. You have prepared us. You have challenged us. Lord, I pray that you would empower us for service. Let us take the example of these men and let us follow them, for they are like us in so many ways. There are times we are fearful. There are times that we deny you. There are times that we struggle and doubt. But Father, we know that you'll give us the strength to carry on. So we put ourselves in your good hands. And Father, if there's any here that do not know you as Savior, I pray that you would choose them this morning. Would you call out to them? Would you say, come, follow me? And Father, may they respond to that Spirit's work. We pray this in the name of Christ. Amen. We hope you have enjoyed this week's Walking in Faith podcast. We encourage you to share this podcast with others in order to help spread God's message to all those in need. If you have any questions or comments, we would love to hear from you. Email us at walkinginfaith at orangevilla.org. You can help us spread this podcast by writing a review at iTunes. And don't forget to visit us online at orangevilla.org. There you will find more information about our ministry, as well as share your thoughts, submit prayer requests, and find out how you can help others to grow in God's love. 
Until next week, may God bless you in everything you do.